Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Hello, good Friday morning, everyone. It's time for some good news. Uh, I'm Pastor Brett Corneas of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and with me, as always, is uh, my friend and bodyguard, Alan Dean. Say say good morning, Alan. Uh, good morning. Happy Friday. <laughs> good morning. Uh, folks, we're glad you joined us. Um, we want to remind you as we start here that this is a call-in program, and uh, we appreciate your and invite your comments and your feedback and questions. Our phone number here is 740-383-WWGH. That's 740-383-9944. So if you have some time this morning, if you're interested in what we're talking about, or if you just have a question in general, give us a call. Uh, now, this morning, we're going to start off by participating in the station's giveaway program. Uh, as you know, the Ohio State Fair, when did it start? Started The Ohio State Fair started on Wednesday. On Wednesday. Okay. So, and that goes for two weeks? Uh, two, through the uh, 9th. Through the 9th. Okay. All right. So... Th- the Great Ohio State Fair is going on right now, and WWGH has some tickets for that. And if you'd like to get those tickets, we have a, uh, a trivia pr- uh, question for you this morning. We invite you to call in, answer the trivia question, and uh, get those tickets. Alan, what is the trivia question <laughs> for this morning? Uh, you know the old show, um, Hawaii Five-0, was brought back there for a while. I remember it well, yes. So uh, the question is, what does Five O stand for? What does Five O stand for? Okay. So, so in the in the TV show Hawaii Five O, what was the uh, what was the Five O for? That's right. And they have until the end of the hour to and call Scott in. Scott is with us. I'm sorry. Yes. No, Scott I'm, I'm here this morning. Yes. And uh, they have until the end of the hour to answer that question on the air seven four zero. Alan yeah. knows the answer. He do, and he'll be able to tip it off. And Alan Alan's going to be the judge, jury, and and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what else? Uh, I went to a judge executioner. Sure, not the executioner. Execute. execute the giving away of the of the tickets. I guess we'll that's right. That way. All right, very good. Well, folks, uh, we do have some news for you this morning, and uh, we're going to discuss some things that are going on in the news, and then later we're going to talk about the good news that's offered to us in Holy Scripture. So uh, this morning, I want to first talk about. Um, about this story, I'm sure most of you have heard about it. Oh, we might have the trivia question here. Might have the answer. Go ahead, Hi, caller. Hello? Hello. Hi, I know the answer, I you, think. You know the answer. Okay. Well, what's the answer? Is it because Hawaii was a 50th state? Is that it? Yes, it is. That's it. All right. Oh, good. Very good. What's your name, ma'am? It's Jennifer Vargo. Jennifer Vargo? Yes. Okay, Jennifer, you have two tickets to the uh, Ohio State Fair that are good through August the 9th, courtesy of Wittenberg's Door. You can pick those up any day between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. weekdays here at the station in the mall. Sounds great. I really appreciate it, and I really enjoy your guys' show. Thank you. Congratulations. 
Thank you. Have a blessed day. All right, you too. Thank you. Be blessed. All right, very good. So somebody's going to the Ohio State Fair. That's great. Happy Ohio State Fair, Jennifer. Okay, yeah. Now, here's kind of turning a a little bit here. Uh, Our story this week uh, is about uh, Cecil the Lion. I'm sure you've all heard about this story. Uh, A Minnesota dentist and an avid hunter went on a safari uh, to Zimbabwe, and he ended up poaching a lion that was protected by the wildlife laws mm-hmm. in a in a preserve within the country. And that lion, uh, famous lion Cecil, had a GPS locator, and his habits were being studied. He was a protected animal, and somehow the hunter lured this lion from the preserve, and then shot him with a bow and arrow, killed him. The doctor proudly had his picture taken with the lion, and somehow it became known through social media. When people learned of the killing of this lion, especially here in America, social media lit up. It was one of those cases where moral outrage took on a life of its own. The story was covered on all the major networks and media outlets. Commentators freely offered their opinion and judgment about the killing of this lion. Some activists even went to his place of business to publicly shame the dentist. Now we know that his business has been closed down. He closed his office. And he's wanted by officials in Zimbabwe. <clears throat> what the, the thing that nobody is saying is, judge not lest ye be judged. This dentist is being judged. And in a way, rightly so. Now, of course... He did break the laws of Zimbabwe, and he should be held accountable. There's a reason for these laws, and a reason to protect certain wildlife. What he did was wrong. But remember, folks, we're talking about a lion. Compare what this dentist did to what is happening every day in abortion clinics throughout the country. It's somewhere around 56 million now. 56 million children have been killed. And we've learned recently that some of them are having their organs harvested and sold to medical researchers because of the value of the fetal tissue in research. Now, some have tried to ennoble this slaughter by saying that these organs are serving a purpose. They are helping humanity. But as one commentator supposed this week, suppose the organs were not serving the cause of research to cure diseases. But suppose the tissue was being uh, processed as food to feed the hungry. Isn't that also serving humanity? How is this any different? How are we essentially different from the Nazi doctors who used the suffering of the Jews in their medical research? Where is the moral outrage over the killing of 56 million innocent lives. Of course, it's not up to us, either in the case of this dentist or in the case of the aborted child, to take the law into our own hands. That's for the proper authorities. But perhaps we can use this as a teachable moment. Call upon our representatives to ban this barbaric and cruel practice of abortion. And maybe when we're thinking about this doctor and his guilt, we can pause a moment and think about our own guilt 
Maybe we can consider the day when we will face God's judgment and ask ourselves, what hope do we have? For a lion has been slain. Not an irrational, instinctual lion, but the lion of Judah. He who was born in the flesh, the totally innocent one, and who was brought before the bar of God's judgment in your place, Jesus Christ. He is, as the scriptures say, the Lion of Judah. But he went to his death as a lamb, the Lamb of God. But because he is the Lion of Judah, death could not hold him. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and sits now at the right hand of God. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is not a lion who seeks to tear apart limb from limb all those he comes upon. This is a lion who wants to save you, to protect you, to preserve your life from sin and death. And this he has done by his life, death, and resurrection. And he calls you to repentance and faith so that you might also live. Amen. When you sense the moral outrage of God's law toward your sin, flee to this lion, for he will rescue and save you. Amen. 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 Okay. I know we covered the abortion topic last week as well when we learned about the uh, proceedings at some of the Planned Parenthood clinics. (laughs) But I thought that the juxtaposition of these two stories... Cecil the Lion and, uh, and this uh, story of Planned Parenthood orgasting, uh, uh, harvesting these organs and, and selling them. It was a pretty interesting uh, contrast mm-hmm. in, uh, in the way that the public has reacted to these two stories. So, Okay, very good. Uh, well, folks, we uh, not only have news today... But we have some good news. We're going to remind you again that um, this is a call-in program. Uh, our number here is 740-383-WWGH. That's 383-9944. And if you'd like to call with a comment or question. Uh, we're also on Facebook, by the way. You can go to our Facebook page, The Wittenberg Door, and post your questions there. We'll be, If you do it now uh, or in the next hour, we'll be happy to uh, take those questions on as well. So give us a call or post on Facebook and and we'll be happy to address your questions or comments. Very good. Good, good. Alan, uh, what are our lessons for this week? We have the intro it, which uh, folks, the intro it in our uh, divine service kind of serves the function as as the first prayer of God's people, uh, the things that we call upon God for. And uh, so our intro it this week is is what, Alan? Uh, This is from the book of Psalms, the 54th chapter. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear 
or to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves, for he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. And glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it, as was, it was in the, the beginning, beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies, and your faithfulness put an end to them. You know, in these Psalms, in the book of Psalms, um, you often encounter not only the prayers of the psalmist, which the Psalms are, are primarily their prayers. You not only encounter the kind of the petitions of the psalmist, but you you find these declarations that the psalmist will make. Um, and these declarations are, are really kind of a form of praise. And one of the things that the psalmist says this week is, behold, God is my helper. That's a declaration about who God is and what he intends to do for us. It's really, um, it's really the cry of faith. It is said by those who believe that they have come into God's favor by grace through faith. Uh, in other words, uh, this is a prayer that Christians take up because we believe that we've been justified by grace through faith in Christ and that uh, God has in fact help us, helped us by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And so we can boldly declare and uh, faithfully declare that God is our helper. And so in that confidence, Christians then come to their Father in heaven and they ask for these things. They say, save me by your name. Vindicate me by your might, which is, a, again, it's a kind of a contrast to really the same thing being said in, uh, in a couple different ways. Uh, that's the nature of Hebrew poetry. To save, to save us is to vindicate us. Uh, and to vindicate us really is to vindicate our faith. To vindicate that declaration that God is our helper. Uh, the psalmist prays, hear my prayer and give ear to my pleadings. Um, and then he complains about the strangers, about the ruthless men who seek my life. And this is something we see happening uh, in the Christian world even today. Uh, Alan, I'm sure, that, you know, as much as we've talked about uh, the persecution of Christians, Asiya Bibi, who uh, is uh, being held in Pakistan mm -hmm. for the charge of blasphemy, uh, simply really for expressing her own Christian faith. And... Uh, uh, this week, uh, we learned that uh, her case went before the Supreme Court in Pakistan, and she was granted a stay of execution. We're not sure what the disposition of Asya will be eventually, uh, whether she'll be released or eventually will we'll go on to, to suffer the ultimate price for her faith. We pray that she'll be released. We pray that uh, even as the psalmist prays here, uh, save me and vindicate. We we pray that Asia will be saved and that her faith will be vindicated. We know that's ultimately true in Christ, since Christ has died and rose again. 
our our common faith has been vindicated by the resurrection of Christ and will be vindicated uh, on the day of his return. Uh, but we think of all the others, Saeed Abedini, who's being held in Iran. Mm-hmm. We think of uh, Syrian and Iraqi Christians who are uh, literally being wiped off the map in those war-torn mm-hmm. countries. Oh, yeah. And, uh, uh, and we pray for them that God would save them, that God would vindicate their faith, that these strangers, these ruthless men who have risen up against them and are seeking their life would be, um, uh, would be stopped and that they would be protected from these ruthless men. And uh, we know that that's ultimately true in Christ. And remember, folks, that in the Psalms, when you hear the psalmist praying, uh, you are hearing the anointed one praying. The Psalms are written by David. Uh, there's a couple written by Solomon, one by Moses, uh, and a number by the, uh, the musicians in the temple. Uh, but in every case, it is written by, by those who have been anointed to serve God in those capacities. And the anointing, the anointing itself always points us to the Christ so that really what we're seeing in the Psalms is not just David or Solomon or, or the temple musicians praying, but we're hearing Christ pray. It is Christ who cried out to be saved, who cried out to be vindicated when he was uh, falsely accused, taken, nailed to a cross, and uh, suffered uh, death at the hands of ruthless men, in the, at the hands of strangers, at the hands of the Roman authorities, uh, but whose life and teaching was ultimately vindicated in his resurrection. It's Christ who's praying these psalms. And because we are in Christ through our baptisms, we take up these words of Christ. We pray the words of the Anointed One with him and in him and uh, and we know that God is indeed our helper and we we pray that with uh, with confidence uh, believing in the Christ who has risen uh, we pray those words with confidence and and we make that declaration with confidence so very good it's a beautiful psalm mm-hmm. and uh, and it's very appropriate as uh, Christians as I said in the earlier uh, you know, the intro, it is really uh, in our s- divine service on Sunday mornings. It's, uh, it's the first prayer offered by us all together, uh, spoken responsively and, and, uh, and ascending to God. God hears the prayers of the saints in those moments. What a wonderful privilege that is for God to give ear to our prayers. So, Okay, very good. So then we have the mm-hmm. intro. It kind of sets the, sets the tone for the day. And then uh, we have the Old Testament lesson. Now, where's the Old Testament lesson from, Alan? Uh, it's Second uh, Samuel, chapter 22. Okay, great. And, and uh, tell us what that says. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. 
For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and be my God I can leave over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge, and he has made my ways blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer, and sent me secure on the heights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, yeah. Uh, Now, here in this Old Testament lesson, these are... These are kind of, this is the end of David's life, King David. Uh, King David who has written most of the Psalms. And you notice that, um, what, what, what is one thing you notice about this lesson, Alan? What does this sound like, these words of David? Kind of sounds like a Psalm, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. In, in fact, this is a Psalm. Um, uh, and we find these words of David both in the Psalms and in Second Samuel here as... As David is, these are kind of like the last words of David. This is his, this is his last confession. This is an old man uh, at the end of his life who wants to express his gratitude toward God for all the deliverance that God has provided, for the salvation that David has experienced. Um, and so really what David here is doing is he's confessing what he knows about God in these uh, words inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, What David is saying is in a lifetime of hearing God's word and being saved by God, this is what I know, right? So what does he know? What does David know about God? David first knows here that God's way is perfect. You know, there's nothing that God can be blamed for. Uh, we often have that um, that instinct in us when something goes wrong, don't mm-hmm. we? To want to kind of blame God for for what's happening in our lives. Uh, we know that that all things that God does is good and uh, is is meant for the good of His people. So God's way is perfect. That's one of the things that David knows. Uh, another thing that David knows is that God is a rock. He's a strong refuge. And um, it's interesting that in David's life, he experienced this so many times. Uh, before he became king, after he was anointed by Samuel, but before he was recognized by Israel as the anointed one that God had chosen, David spent a, a good deal of his life on the run. He had an enemy in the previous king, Saul, who uh, probably understood that David was to be the next king. Uh, he didn't know that God was going to take the kingdom away from him. Samuel had told him that. And so uh, Saul spent a, uh, the last years of his monarchy uh, pursuing David and trying to put David to death. And in every case, God uh, protected him, watched over him. Uh, many of those days, David spent in these what were called these strongholds, mm-hmm. which were these caves, these rocks. You know, there are some pretty famous uh, examples of uh, the way people would take refuge. Uh, for instance, um, 
uh, one of the uh, one of the refuges of Edom, the Edomites, was a place called Petra, which uh, is a Greek word that means rock. And uh, their city, Petra, was was in the mountainside, and it was a, you know it was a strong fortress to flee to. And uh, David experienced that in the in the strongholds of Judah. There were places like that where he could go in these caves and be protected from the enemy. Uh, many times you see these armies of Israel would uh, seek refuge as a fortress in these caves and in these mountains. And, uh, and so what David is confessing is God is the refuge. God is the mountain. God is the rock. He uses all these uh, military terms to describe God. He, he says that God is a shield, a strong refuge. And uh, uh, we see the martial glory of uh, Jehovah, of God, in these uh, in these verses. And so, as a rock and as a refuge, he is uh, a refuge for all who turn to him. He's the one who turns no one away. We, we're reminded and comforted by these promises of Christ in John chapter 6 when he says, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and the one who comes to me I will never turn away. Uh, in other words, what, what Christ promises to do, our rock, our refuge, what he promises to do is to shelter us, to watch over us, to be our shield and buckler. Uh, again, there's that martial language that's being used. Uh, another thing that David here says is, one of the things he confesses, what he knows about God is that the word of the Lord is true. God's word is true. And so he takes comfort, he takes refuge, even in the words that God speaks. Uh, the words that the Christ speaks. The words that David knows that he has spoken, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He takes refuge in the scriptures. And, uh, you know, what a wonderful refuge and comfort those scriptures are to us. And when we're being assaulted by the lies of the enemy, what a wonderful thing to know that we can flee to God's word, which makes such wonderful and magnificent promises to us. The last thing here that, uh, that David knows about God is that God is merciful. And we see God's mercy, especially in the uh, giving of his son, uh, in whom uh, everyone who believes and is baptized is saved. And so uh, uh, we, we recognize God's mercy, especially in Christ. So, wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. Good news. Good news. Okay. Uh, and this is being spoken by a man whose whose life is in is coming to an end. Uh-huh. And would that God would give us that faith, right? As right. we as we grow and mature in the faith, that we will recognize more and more that God is our rock and refuge. That He hears those who call upon Him. That He saves us and rescues us. That He's merciful and all His promises are true. Mm-hmm. Well, what a wonderful uh, heritage of faith that is. Uh, which is, is, is given us through God's word. Absolutely. Amen. Okay, and then we have, uh, of course, folks, we have uh, a lesson from the Old Testament in our service. We have a, a lesson also from what are called the epistles, usually the letters of Paul, but the letters also of other apostles. Uh, 
who speak to us about the Christ and explain explain the faith to us. And so, where is our epistle from this week, Alan? Uh, this is from the first book of Corinthians, beginning chapter 10. Okay, first Corinthians chapter 10. What did you read that for us? Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Okay. So we have this uh, lesson from 1 Corinthians. Which, folks, I, I just want to uh, kind of give you, you know, a lot of times when you're reading Scripture, what's very important is what comes before and what comes after. You know, mm-hmm. The context right. of what's being said is as important as the, you know, the actual text you're reading. And I, I want to just kind of trace back to the few verses beforehand when... Uh, St. Paul introduces this subject. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud. This is the cloud that uh, followed Israel, the cloud Mm -hmm. that led Israel through the desert. And all passed through the sea. And he's talking about the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. He's talking about the manna there. And all drank the same spiritual drink. He's talking about the water that proceeded from the rock. For they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. By the way, isn't that an interesting contrast mm. with our uh, intro at, in, uh, in the Old Testament lesson here where God is referred to as a rock, as right. a refuge. Yep. Uh, but also that rock from which flows this life-giving water. Uh, nevertheless, he said, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. And then, of course, he gets into the epistle lesson. And what I think is interesting about that is the way that Paul reads the Old Testament. I think it's it's important for us to to learn what Paul is doing here, what St. Paul is doing. As he, as he reads the writings of Moses, and he reads about the Exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, the journey of the Israelites in the desert where they were fed and cared for by God. And uh, one of the things that Paul, St. Paul does here is he relates that to the church now. In other words, uh, Paul says that all these things happen to us as examples. In other words, he wants us to know that essentially what happened to the Israelites is happening for 
the church now. You know, the Israelites were, they were rescued from Egypt. They were called out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And in uh, Greek, the, the words called out is a, is a word, uh, ek, uh, Greek word, the Greek word is ekklesia, which literally means uh, called out. But this ekklesia, which means called out, is the term that we use now. It is, it's the term that's translated in the New Testament as church. The church is what? The church is the called out ones. And we are called out of the world. We are called out from the destiny of the world, which is destruction. We're called out to, sal- to God's salvation and, and uh, God's mercy. And we are called out, uh, as Paul says here, we're called out through baptism. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were baptized, Paul says, into Moses and in, in the cloud and in the sea. Uh, in the New Testament, we see that we're called out through baptism into Christ. In the waters of baptism, God calls us out. Oh, looks like we have a caller then. Uh, okay, caller, you're on, the, you're on the air. Okay, Brett. Hello. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I called last week. Oh, good. Well, glad to have you call back. Well, I listen to your show. It's, it's a very, very good show. Thank you. Or program, I mean. <laughs> Not show, you can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, you were talking about the miracles of the parting of the Red Sea and so forth. Uh-huh. Now, I actually believe those really happened the way they were predicted, where they were said in the Bible. Absolutely. I think they, the, the Red Sea did part. Yes, I agree with that. But do you? Yes. I wanted your take on that. Yeah. I know there, there are churches who who teach that, that it didn't happen, that they're kind of... Uh, That's you know, like a poetic thing. or legends, right, yeah. Like like a just like a you know a proverb type thing or yeah yeah like a like a, a fable a Aesop's fable. fables that are meant That's to teach some kind of it. lesson yeah no but we don't believe that I really that. think it really happened we, we agree with you we believe mm-hmm. it happened okay. as well okay and I have a question okay I've listened to a lot of all night talk shows yeah and they're saying that the moon used to be part of the planet Earth I'm sorry could you could you uh, speak just a little bit louder. Louder? Okay. Uh, oh, he's turning you up. up okay, please. very good. Thank yeah. you. Could you, you repeat that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, they say, a lot of the scientists and so forth say that the moon used to be part of the planet Earth. Yeah. It was knocked off and thrown into heaven. Now, I don't know, but the thing is, I think God created the heavens and the Earth, mm-hmm. and the moon was created as it is now. Yeah. What do you think? Well, uh, I, I agree you with know. you again. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, it says that uh, God created the, uh, the, the moon and the sun and all the host of heaven uh, to give light on that. the earth. And I, we, believe and, the, I take the Bible total literary. I have a beef, right. and I'm going to have to go, but I'll listen to you guys. <laughs> okay, sure. Well, have thank you for time. calling. Good questions that... Uh, Good questions and comments, so we, we appreciate the caller. Thank you. Uh, yeah, was the moon part of the earth? Well, of course, we don't see that in Genesis. Uh, that doesn't mean, by the way, that uh, God couldn't have taken the moon from the earth in creation when it says, for instance, in Genesis 1, that God, on the fourth day, created the great lights. Uh, 
Uh, that's, that's where we find that on the fourth day. Uh, could he have taken it from the earth? Well, he doesn't tell us that he's taken it from the earth. Uh, but could he have taken it from the earth? I suppose he could have taken it from the earth and set it in its place. Uh, I would agree with the caller. I think what the caller may be trying to say is that it was that at some, you know, at some point uh, during time, the moon and the, and the earth separated and uh, uh, kind of evolved, that the, that the moon evolved away from the earth, I guess. Uh, and uh, we, we wouldn't agree with that. That's... Uh, uh, we believe that these are all intentional things that God did and that he, he did them at a certain point in time. Uh, that created the sun, created the moon, created all the stars. Uh, did he take them all from the earth? I don't, don't think so. I don't know. Uh, and uh, if there's uh, material that the scientists, uh, you know, if they say that, you know, the material on earth and, and on the moon, we've been to the moon. We've certainly been able to test its surface and and uh, look at its chemical makeup, and if they're seeing similarities between the two, and have concluded that uh, at one point the moon was part of the Earth, uh, I don't think that uh, Scripture necessarily uh, rejects that. Uh, if we are careful to say that this happened just as God said on the fourth day, and that uh, that God made these, God made the moon and the sun and the stars. Uh, all together. So uh, where did he take the material to create the moon? Well, we don't know. No. We just know that, that he did. And so we believe what God's word says. So a good question. And uh, thank you, caller, for that question. Folks, if you do have a, a question or a comment, uh, our uh, number is 740-383-9944. And we invite you also to call with your comments and questions or or post them on our facebook page which we the wittenberg door on facebook uh okay so going back to this lesson here in the epistles uh there's this background of of our baptism that paul is is saying look they were baptized you too are baptized uh, they ate the same spiritual food you too are sharing together in this in this uh, in this food that God provides, and Alan, what what is this food that God provides, and where does He provide it? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the church's life. Oh, okay. Where, yeah. where is where is our food that we receive? Where is our table that we come to? And, and that's communion. Yeah, yeah, the Lord's Supper. Yeah, right. And so uh, we too are are being uh, are having this manna from heaven. Uh, Jesus in his uh, body and blood comes to us and feeds us and uh, gives us life, uh, uh, rescues us the, you know, by, by giving us the things that we need. And, and one of the things we need most is his forgiveness and mercy. And so uh, he died for us. He rose again for us. And that death and resurrection is our life. And it is, it is his body and blood that suffered on the cross for us that is is being given to us in this holy food. And so what Paul now is going to, the point that Paul is going to make is uh, that they had baptism, they had the Lord's Supper, they had a, a supper of sorts, uh, they had a, a Christ who was following them, uh, that rock that followed them, that rock that preserved them. And, uh, and yet... 
with all the benefits that God had provided for them, they turned away. They turned to idolatry. They turned to sexual immorality. They turned to grumbling and ingratitude. In other words, they abused the mercy that God had given them by calling them out of Egypt, by calling them to be a a distinct nation and to be different than the nations. And the point that Paul is making here is that the church is called out to be different, uh, that we're to live lives that please God. Um, So we should take some humility from this lesson, that we should take heed lest we fall. And remember that God is faithful, and that in all our temptations with which we are confronted, he provides a way of escape when we call upon him uh, and uh, look to him for escape. Okay? All right, finally we have the gospel lesson. So let's uh, let's get to that gospel lesson. Mm-hmm. This is from Luke, and it's chapter 16. Okay. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is that that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write down eighty. And the master commanded the dishonest man, he commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of the unrighteous wealth, so that when it falls, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Okay, well, you know, what's really interesting about this lesson is, uh, again, where, where it occurs. Uh, context is everything, folks. And uh, in the context of this parable that Jesus tells uh, is just after his parable on the prodigal son. What does the prodigal son do? The prodigal son leaves his father's house, takes his father's possessions, and wastes them, Right? We see here this dishonest manager who has been wasting his, uh, his master's possessions. In the case before, it was the son who wasted his father's possessions. In this case, it's the steward who wastes his master's possessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing about this is where, what comes after it. Uh, now, Jesus makes some, makes some points here about... Uh, uh, about the love of money, which is uh, prominent within all of us, uh, how we're how we're tempted to uh, love money, to hold on to money, and and uh, and neglectful of the commandments of God. Uh, it's, it's in our nature, uh, and so. 
Christ warns them, you know, you can't serve two masters. Either love the one and hate the other, or you're devoted to one and you love the other. We're either devoted to God or we're devoted to money. Mm-hmm. And we're devoted to the things that money gives us. So he makes this statement. And then, you know, the next thing that's there is uh, the rich man and Lazarus. The next parable he tells is the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man in in in. In that story, the rich man gaily clothes himself with purple and this kind of this royal attire, the best of everything. Um, his his uh, table is so rich that the things that fall from his table, the poor man Lazarus wants to eat from those things. And the, this, this rich man has no concern for the needs of his neighbor. So you have in, in the first in the first, uh, before the parable, you have the parable of the prodigal son. Afterwards, you have the rich man and Lazarus, and we know how, how that turns out. The rich man ends up in torment uh, because he has, uh, uh, he, he has made a god of money, and he has uh, neglected to hear the holy scriptures who preach to us the one true God, the God who is our refuge and strength, the God who saves us from our sin. And so... Uh, uh, you know, judgment ultimately falls upon this man, but here in the middle is this is this uh, parable of the unjust steward. Now, Alan, tell me what a steward is. Essentially, what is a steward? I would be someone that does the business of somebody else. Yeah, someone who takes care of the property of others, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and so they don't own anything, uh, but they. They uh, manage the property of of something that's owned by their master, and just as the prodigal son is really us, we are the ones who have taken God's uh, benefits and uh, the life that we had, and we've we've wasted it with sin. So it is true. Also, we are the stewards. We are the ones who have been given great gifts from God. who uh, we are uh, the ones who have been given life and uh, are held to account to account for our life and, and the things that God has given us uh, ultimately on the last day. Uh, we are really the unjust steward because through sin and through, uh, <clears throat> through our own neglect, we have abused God's grace, we have abused God's mercy, and we have abused God's gifts. So the unjust steward is really is really us, and uh, the minor point that I think uh, the one one of the points that's being made here is that uh, you know as as stewards we are called to uh, give to not not just to the temporal uh, you know uh, needs of our of our body but uh, we're to think about and consider uh, what is eternal. Uh, and so the steward then, when he finds out he's going to lose his stewardship, he prepares by uh, being good to people who owe the master money. And uh, in this way, he prepares a future for himself. Think about the future. Don't be so concerned about the day-to-day life that, that you don't remember that we are eternal creatures who... Uh, who will live on. And, and so we, how do we do that? We turn to Christ, who, by the way, where is the gospel in all this? Where's the good news? It's that, in a way, uh, Christ himself is the steward, who is 
who is in our in our debt is providing relief for us uh, and providing an eternal home for us. He is, in a way, the one who comes to us and says, how much do you owe the master? And when we say we owe him everything and we've, we've, uh, we're badly in debt to him, Christ is the one who pays that debt for us who, who, uh, and who provides an eternal home for us by his life, death, and resurrection. Well, folks, uh, the time has come. It's time to go. We thank you for joining us today. Uh, we hope that you'll join us again next week. The, this broadcast is redone on uh, Sunday mornings at 9 and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. And so if you'd like to rehear the broadcast, be sure to join in. Uh, and uh, if you do have a, a question or comment you'd like to make about today's show, uh, be sure to... Uh, comment or question us on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door. Uh, and Alan, thanks again for Thank being here today. Thanks, Scott, for uh, for taking the controls. And folks, we, list, we look forward to uh, being with you again next Friday morning on the Wittenberg Door. <laughs>